Well, it's 2024, and we're going to start the year off with this question. More disappointing franchise crossover, Alien versus Predator or Freddy versus Jason? Ooh, wow. Um, <laughs> I don't remember Freddy versus Jason. Oh. So I believe I've seen it, but I don't remember it very well. Do you remember Alien versus Predator? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so I would... I would have to lean into Alien versus Predator, I guess, because it's the one that sticks out to me more. Can I tell you something that's going to shock and horrify you? Uh, yeah. We're going to be leading into Alien versus Predator in like a few weeks. <laughs> We're going to be watching it. Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay. No, it's not nice. Oh, uh, well, it's bad. <laughs> that but, movie blows uh, yeah, ass. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's because you're such a giant Predator fan. That, I am. Uh, For yeah, me, the answer yeah. is obviously Alien versus Predator, but this movie does kind of bring that into question with the tease. I, I think I remember being entertained by Freddy versus Jason. I feel similarly to you, but I do recall also the overwhelming feeling that it was a giant waste of time. It's like Batman v Superman. Like you just know neither one of them is going to lose. So it's kind of like no stakes. So go back and forth and yeah. And also like Batman v Superman. It's pretty terrible. I feel I didn't didn't see that one either. I didn't, I didn't see Batman. You're not missing it. I I don't think we're going to cover that one. I don't think welcome to bad movies and beer. I'm Cooper and I'm Nolan. And today for our first episode of the new year, we are discussing Jason goes to hell colon the final Friday, AKA Friday the 13th part nine. Although the official Friday the 13th fans do not call it that. No, no, that would be sacrilege, right? Yeah. How about this? This is our first ever January episode. In the past, oh. we've taken a break after December and come back in March, but because we decided to go uh, bi-weekly, we are now going to be pushing through January and February right through all the way to the end of June. So we're going to have our first ever January episode right now. Next month, our first ever February episode and our first ever Valentine's Day episode. Ooh, so uncharted waters here and looking forward to, uh, you know, the romantic episode. Well, I don't know how romantic it'll be, but we'll be watching it and talking about it on Valentine's Day. No, but this is this is exciting. Like you said, uh, first time in January. We'll see if we can uh, keep things rolling into the new year. So this is the third Jason or Friday the 13th movie on our podcast. Yes, we did Friday the 13th uh, part eight. Jason allegedly takes Manhattan in our first season. Jason on a boat. Jason on a boat floating towards Manhattan. And then we did Friday the 13th part three, 3D in our second season. Ooh, yeah, and that one had some fun action sequences in that one. Well, it had the hilarious 3D effects where yes. they're like intentionally <laughs> sending things towards you. Yeah. Yes, yeah. That's coming back to me now. I remember that one. That yeah. one was pretty fun. This um, one, though, totally different from both of those. Uh, well, not different in that he never appears in hell. That's pretty similar to him never appearing in New York. York. Yeah. <laughs> but I know what you mean. Yeah, very different yeah. style of He movie. does spend yeah. roughly the same amount of time in hell as he spends in New York in part eight. But oh we're going to cover all of that but first before we do as always we have paired the movie with a beer what is the uh, beer we are drinking today Noel? yeah this one is a pretty easy connection this is jason goes to hell and we're drinking a beer from the Helltown brewing company out of your favorite city in the united states of america chicago <laughs> yes i'm pretty sure most listeners would be able to throw out pittsburgh pennsylvania it is, quickly, yeah, it's yeah. from pittsburgh um this brewery located in the Strip District, which is a fun area that you and I went to on a trip there this past summer. We did not visit this brewery, though. No, no. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to try this. I don't think I've had anything from the Helltown Brewing Company before. This is a Hefenweizen, so German-style wheat beer. This should be pretty crushable. A, a light way to sort of start our new year after consuming so many um, IPAs and other dark beverages in our Christmas episode. Fuck yeah, we drank a lot for that one. If you have not listened to our Invasion <laughs> USA holiday special... 
Uh, make sure you take a listen because it was a good time. Shout out to the folks at Fatty Beer Co. for that uh, delightful advent calendar. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, small regrets about how I felt the next day, but you know, it's always worth it. Uh, so this is a traditional Heavenweisen, so it's going to have like hints of kind of clove and banana. It's going to be tasty. It's going to be from those grains, right? Clove and banana, eh? Ooh, yeah, right up my alley. Okay. Why don't we crack it open and give this thing a shot? So we faded on a tranquil-looking lake, and I'm like, is that Crystal Lake? And because the director clearly thinks we're all idiots, there's an immediate zoom on a road sign that says Crystal Lake, four miles. But I guess I did ask, so maybe I am an idiot? I don't know. Anyway, (laughs) a single car pulls up to a good-sized cabin. Its lone passenger steps out, and wouldn't you know it, it's a hot lady. (laughs) Yeah, we've already got the Telltale synth music here leading us in. This woman arrives. She's, uh, you said she's an attractive woman right now. She's yeah. kind of buttoned up. She's got like a New York uh, Mets hat on and she's just trying to come in and get settled at the lake. She does look a little bit suspicious of her surroundings, though. She comes in, turns on the light, and what do you know? The light bulb blows out. Oh, yeah, exactly. So she goes to the shed to grab a ladder to change it. We get an extremely low grade jump scare here when she accidentally breaks the light behind her, which plunges the shed into darkness as well, but it ends up being nothing. She goes back and changes that bulb with the cabin now fully illuminated. She does what any sensible person would do in real life. Strips naked. <laughs> well, it's pretty cold out there. She needs to warm herself up somehow. By she... taking off clothes? Well, she's heading to the shower. Which people also always do when they arrive at a fucking cabin. Yeah. she's First looking, thing I do. She's looking to get clean. I don't know. Maybe she has some time to herself alone. I think a lot of people like a, a shower when they're they're trying to like decompress and get away from the world. She's just I think she's getting... actually going to have a bath. I, I feel like water's in the doesn't matter either way she's almost in the tub when suddenly the lights go out again and she reacts immediately almost as if she was expecting this to happen she grabs a towel quickly and goes to investigate and no sooner is she out of the bathroom than a certain hockey mask wearing killer appears taking a big swing at her head and neck with his machete it's jason Voorhees, obviously and she manages to dodge his attack but in doing so she falls over a banister and directly onto the coffee table on the ground below and here comes the stereotypical chase music (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is uh, getting into some action right away. She dodges that Jason swing, and it does look like she's ready to get out of here. She looks much more capable than an average person in one of these situations. Oh, my God, especially when she gets outside and runs off into the night. She slides across the hood of a car and skillfully hurdles several branches and tree stumps, and it becomes clear that this is no ordinary slasher victim. In fact, just as Jason catches up to her in a clearing that she stops kind of like right in the middle of, giant floodlights turn on and a bunch of armed SWAT types appear. So this has all been a big setup and the hot lady is like an FBI agent, I guess. It's like a horror version of miscongeniality. <laughs> I did not make that Sandra Bullock connection, but right? <laughs> I see what you're doing here. Yeah, all of this was a big trap. She went there to lure out Jason and she even had him chase her through the woods to this clearing. There's all of these military or SWAT people, people even coming down on ropes while firing off fucking machine guns. Oh, yeah, man. And these cops are whoever absolutely Swiss cheese Jason here. They're making more holes than the gopher in Caddyshack or Caddyshack, too. 
But the icing on the cake is when they launch a grenade at him that literally blows him to pieces. His head goes flipping up into the air. One of his arms flies off to the side covered in flames. He's like those old crash test dummy toys from the 90s. Remember those? <laughs> I had a bunch of those. Those were fun. Yeah, man. You press the button and they would explode. I actually thought it was a plane that dropped a bomb on him, which I thought was pretty fucking ridiculous. Because the one guy mentions that they all need to like move out of the way, and I thought that they were calling it an airstrike. But he absolutely gets obliterated. His body parts are going everywhere, but on the ground, there is one part of his body still there and still seemingly beating. It's a giant heart. Well, that's the thing, man. Like, these cops are celebrating because in their minds, they have finally ended Jason's reign of terror. But, like, I say in their minds because we're seven and a half minutes into this movie, so obviously that isn't the case. But, yeah, just in case anybody wasn't sure about this, we do get a shot of that heart kind of beating on the ground. And we also see a mysterious bounty hunter type watching from a distance. He stares intently towards the scene and utters four simple words. I don't think so. I actually want to give the last part of the sequence some credit here. It does make the audience ask questions. Like, who is this mysterious figure? How is Jason going to come back from this? Is Jason going to come back from this? Maybe he's really dead and the rest of this movie will take place in actual hell. Like, what do you think? That's actually where I was. Like, having no preconceived understanding of this movie and remembering that the title was Jason Goes to Hell. I was like, oh, shit, so this is just their way to get him there? Yeah. And the rest of this movie is going to be him fucking fighting demons in the underworld. I was like, this is going to go some cool place. Yeah, it does not, though. It definitely does not. No, he does not fucking (laughs) end up in hell. What the fuck? Well, he's not going to hell yet. In fact... In a series of quick scenes cut into a fairly cheesy title sequence, we see that his various dismembered body parts, including that uh, intact heart that we see slowly stop beating in the last scene, have all been delivered not to hell, but to the federal morgue in Youngstown, Ohio. That heart gets a real close look from the coroner performing Jason's autopsy. He knows that it's twice as large as a normal heart and appears to be filled with a black, viscous fluid. And as if that wasn't unusual enough, the heart starts beating again right there on the scale this guy is using to measure it. And as if that wasn't unusual enough, this guy picks the heart up and fucking devours it. He's moaning and slurping and gobbling the whole thing. And listen, we find out in the next scene that his partner went to get pizza and is late coming back, but Jesus, how hungry is this guy? (laughs) Real fucking hungry. I thought it was hilarious that uh, he was drinking a beer while doing this autopsy too. This guy seems like he's under a bit of stress. (laughs) He is doing this autopsy and the heart starts beating in a crazy rhythmic way and it's actually the heart that gets him to eat it (laughs) obviously you were joking he's not hungry yeah um but the heart itself like kind of hypnotizes him with its beating and he devours the fuck out of this having all this black ooze go like you said he is making some pretty interesting moaning sounds here as this is all going on it's like borderline sexual yeah, yeah, it is. It's a little <laughs> bit weird. Um, so he has swallowed this heart, and his corner buddy shows up with the pizza after he's already filled himself up. Yeah, I, me- I mentioned that guy. Uh, he returns in the next scene, and we get a funny moment where he starts taunting Jason's corpse, not realizing that Jason's spirit or essence or whatever has taken over his partner's body. How you doing, you fat-ass, maggoty, blown-up fuck? You know what I'd like to do to you? I'd like to take a crap. Right on your fucking mask. A big old mango-sized crap. Awkward. (laughs) (laughs) I have never heard anyone describe a shit as a mango, too. That was an interesting... It's a good size. Yeah, that's a large shit. shit. Um, So, yeah, all of this is happening. And what I found funny is... Jason now in the new corner body. He's, He's been able to transfer over with this weird beating heart and black ooze shit. 
Uh, he takes this personally. Well, of course he does. The guy's trashing him right in front of him. Yeah, but, like, if you are an immortal, like, fucking murderer, you think that you wouldn't really care what other people had to say about you. Yeah, because when I think Jason Voorhees, I think, like, tranquil uh, serenity. The guy's very peaceful. He's kind of above <laughs> all the whole vengeance thing. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. No, but I, I think that he is motivated by particular killings. He doesn't, like, care if some guy is talking shit about him, but clearly does, it bothers yeah. him. He finds, I don't even know how to describe it, two long rods, and he's able to, like, plunge them through the other corner's head and squish his face. The other corner even says, yeah, that's a probe, and then he gets fucking probed. Oh, yeah, through the skull. That's pretty gruesome. I actually like the shot of his face, like, mangled from underneath. Coming through the grate? Yeah, Yeah, that was a good shot, man. Yeah. Um, And the hits just keep on coming once Jason's new body leaves the morgue. He's about to breeze past some guards when one of them makes the same mistake the other corner did, kind of taunting him a little bringing into question how tough Jason Voorhees really was. So sure enough, he turns around to murder them because nobody calls Jason Voorhees a pussy. Is this whole movie just a commentary on toxic masculinity or is that what you're kind of getting at? <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, I do find it that he's pretty fragile here if the fact that, yeah, yeah. they call him a, a, a pussy and then he slaughters them both. We get actually kind of a weird transition from this, right? We get that happening, right? Them calling him names and then it transitions to a... Kind of like an unsolved mystery report. We're getting a news or media <laughs> report here. Yeah, like a tabloid journalism thing called American Case File. That's where we kind of see the aftermath of these hallway exploits. They are also nice enough to remind us here about a bit of the franchise's backstory and introduce us to that bounty hunter we saw earlier in the movie, Creighton Duke. Apparently, this guy has caught more serial killers than anyone in history. And not only that, he knows literally everything about what's going on in this movie and lays it all out for us here. What you think of as Jason is not Jason. That body he's wearing, that's just me. He wears other people's bodies like folks wear a suit. Or he may get blown up, but that's just a little minor inconvenience for him. He'll just get himself another body. Now, how does he know all this? That is my question at this point, and not just at this point. (laughs) He does seem to have all of the intel. How he gets it, I'm not sure. This is exposition only. This is a character that uh, he's almost like the prophetic old man, except for he's like a big part of the plot. He's human exposition. Exposition Duke. From there, we cut to a waitress watching this American case file story and looking very nervous. We don't know why yet, but as soon as we get a look at the diner she works at, I thought I knew the answer. They're having a Jason is dead two for one burger sale. And I was like, ooh, Jason is not going to like them profiting off of his likeness. (laughs) (laughs) It turns out that this is not the case at all. Uh, This lady, Diana is her name, is hiding a secret connection to Jason that only two people know about herself and Creighton Duke, who shows up at the diner not for a BOGO burger deal, but to try to get Diana's help and also sleep with her, maybe? He does offer to have sex with her, but I think that is only <laughs> that is only while he is Very trying to rile yeah. up the local sheriff. The local sheriff steps in as Creighton Duke is uh, making her uncomfortable. Creighton is clearly aware of something that the audience isn't aware of yet, and uh, he's aware of everything yeah, in this movie. Yeah, it's a lot. It, it, it is a lot. We've found out that he's going to get paid five hundred grand to kill Jason from the American Case File host. Yeah, yeah. so he's going to do his best to get that cash, and if he has to f- a local waitress, he's he's willing to do so. Um, <laughs> but no, <laughs> whatever it takes. He only threw that out there because the sheriff seemed rather interested 
interested and protective in her, and he wanted to rile up the sheriff. I think he, in some ways, wanted to get tossed in jail. He thought he could get some info here. Well, that's exactly what happens. The sheriff does not like the way Duke's talking to his lady, so he has some of his deputies taken back to the station. But to his surprise, Diana does not respond positively to this. She brushes the sheriff off and quickly slides up next to one of the other diner patrons, a guy named Stephen, who we can infer was romantically involved with Diana's daughter, Jessica, a daughter that Duke mentioned a moment ago. Diana says she needs to tell him something about Jessica and to come to her place tonight, which he does, but not before picking up some horny teenage hitchhikers headed for Crystal Lake. Is it my imagination or does this guy look kind of like a poor man's Rob Schneider? <laughs> you know what's amazing is yeah. that I have also written down a poor come man's on. comparison for him. I did not have Rob Schneider. I actually had a poor man's John Cusack. Oh, yeah, I can see that for sure. Yeah. 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 To me, he felt like a really poor acting John Cusack. It's like if John Cusack and Rob Schneider bang sticks and then somehow produce the sun. <laughs> yeah. I can only assume that's kind of what happened in this movie because I'm not sure why uh, Diana's daughter uh, boned down with him. This guy is, we're going to talk about this later, I bet, but he does not exactly exude leading man qualities. Oh, goodness. No, he he doesn't have the charisma, but he's also a really bad actor. The conversation between him and Diana here as she's trying to express some urgency to come meet her is awful. Both Diana and the Steven character cannot act. It's like soap opera level. Really, uh, really bad. Yeah. And then it transitions to him driving alone and singing along, but in a really, really unauthentic way it's not a real song that's no, the problem yeah. he's like singing along like sounds to what is not an actual song clearly just a background song they made for this movie yeah so so that's really really brutal um going back to what you said he does pick up some hitchhikers of course they're sitting underneath the crystal lake sign the road sign that says we're four miles from there he takes them over to crystal lake where they can set up a tent the one it's funny here we got a third wheel situation there's a yes. couple and a, a woman on her own the woman on her own does invite him to come and stay with her which is gotta be like the most unbelievable part of this movie or maybe the most unbelievable part is that he turns her down yeah that's what i was gonna say there's <laughs> no way there's no way if you were single and driving that car you would have walked away from that situation well but he's i guess he has just heard the news that something with jessica like he's he's got to think maybe his wheels are spinning but still that seems very very unlikely he would have banged her and then drove and went there well he's got fucking time as it turns out well either way he does turn her down so i guess threesome is that what they're gonna do here yeah uh well no <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not what happens. The couple has sex in the tent while the solo girl sleeps outside. And of course, black coroner Jason murders them all, but not before the girl and that couple agrees to let the guy her. It's like she knew they were going to get killed. <laughs> Seriously, like, this doesn't matter. Yeah, sure. it's just like it doesn't matter. There's not a lot of time left. Yeah. Let's live in the time we have left, she said. This is purely in here to up the death count. Like, the only reason why these three characters are here is so that Jason can get some blood on his hands. And the nudity count. Ah, uh, yeah, we needed both. So we do get to see both women naked, um, and the the solo woman kind of goes off to take a pee or one out. It's hard to tell. She spent some time <laughs> in the bushes for a while. Um, on her way back from those bushes, we get kind of an underwhelming kill. Yep. It's just yeah. kind of like he slices her across the face a couple times with a knife. The one in the tent's like. a lot better. Yeah, and then we get a little bit more build in the tent. Then we transition to them having sex. We do get her asking for him to put on a condom. And then, of course, he's like, Oh, God, Debbie, I hate these things. 
she fucking throws it away. And apparently she throws it out of the tent yeah. because we get a shot of Jason stepping on it. And I was like, <laughs> this is a commentary on uh, not wrapping it up. Jason's Movies saying, coming out yeah, strong in favor yeah. of uh, no condom sex. Or is it your no, anti? No, yeah, oh, yeah. no, no. It's saying that you should be wrapping it up because uh, like. But he steps on it. If that was the, if that was the case, he should have picked it up, looked at it and like shaken his head or turned to the camera and like the solo tear like that uh, indigenous <laughs> person in that old commercial about garbage. Oh my God. I would have laughed really hard. But the way that they make him stomp on that condom, they're definitely sending a message they yeah. didn't have to have that in there at that all. was the transgression that incurred his wrath is yeah what he yeah. slices this girl in half oh god top so down she's on top riding and there i actually think that this sex scene is pretty well shot <laughs> <laughs> i know that you're laughing uh i appreciate this i feel like <laughs> oh yeah it's really well shot yeah the angles they're they got using everything. the angles they're using are are discreet enough to show that it is a like a hollywood movie but while it, still titillating but it's yeah it does yeah. feel like that they are actually having sex which is not the case in a lot of uh, Hollywood movies. All right, that's so, fair. So she's riding him, and they're having a good time. And then all of a sudden, you see Jason pick up what seems like a fence pole. Like, you know those thin fence poles that you would wrap a, uh, a, like a chain fence around? He runs her through with it and then pulls it up, splitting her in fucking half. Yeah, man. It is graphic and pretty well done. The effect on this one's pretty good. Yeah, I said top down. I guess it moves more like bottom up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he goes through her stomach and then heads up. The guy underneath her obviously losing it. Do we see him get taken out or we just know that he's killed later? I don't know. I feel like maybe there's a exterior shot of the tent and like him screaming. I don't know. Uh, it, it doesn't ring any bells. Either way, Jason really does number on those teens. And from there, we cut to Diana leaving work at the end of her shift. It's dark and she's nervous and Jason's there watching, but he gets distracted by some horny middle-aged people this time and attacks them instead. He kills the lady by crushing her neck in a car door, then takes the guy back to his house where he shaves and makes out with him. I'm not really joking. That's kind of what happens. <laughs> yeah, this is weird. I have a few different questions. One, I don't understand why Diana is alone. They introduce her feeding a dog after some, like, potentially Which, spooky scares. totally unnecessary. Yeah. We see that dog one more time at the very end, and he did not, we did not need to see him. It's not even useful. No. Yeah, yeah, no. So I don't, I don't like the builder connection here. The sheriff guy does, or one of the sheriff guys does come to check on her, but he gets interrupted by his love interest. Was she another worker at the diner? I don't think so. I think she's just some lady they agreed to meet at the diner, but she's got women's bowling, so they have to get this thing done quickly. Yeah, she wants <laughs> to bone down with yeah. him, so it looks like they're going to f*** in the car. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Jason really dislikes people f***ing, right? That's why he drowned? Yes. The counselors who were supposed to be watching him while he was swimming were too busy f***ing each other, so he, uh, like, yeah, drowned, and now he wants revenge on anyone who has premarital sex, especially unprotected, it seems. Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. But these two old people, like, how does he know they're not married? He just fucking smashes her head in the door, and she goes down pretty hard. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't think he cares. Maybe it's just sex in general. He just hates female bowling. You never see him having sex, so. He hates female bowling. <laughs> yeah, he's against women in sports, so. Yeah. yeah. We got a lot of commentary going on here by the directors. Um, what I thought was weird was that he did take this sheriff back to his house, the Voorhees house, which is here in Crystal Lake, straps him down to a table um, and shaves him. But I guess this is all a setup so that he can transfer himself over to a new body. He doesn't like kissing guys with mustaches. That's what it is. Because the way he transfers is by literally, he like mouth to mouth the guy and the, the heart lizard thing. It's like a fucking worm snake lizard. 
but it's heart. This is the first <laughs> this time. Is fucking weird. This is the first time we see it come out of his body. I'm getting really um, alien-ish vibes. You brought it up earlier, but it reminds me of the creature from Alien that can Yeah, but the alien is not fucking making out with everybody to pass its seed along. It has to come through. Maybe it's like species. You got to f- somebody to like get it through so instead of having sex they're just putting it in through the mouth either way jason does not like facial hair clearly because he shaves this guy totally clean before he fucking plants one on him and that's how this happens well do you think maybe some of it has to do with him like when he was dying as a child so he he, like he needs a smooth body yeah he didn't shave the guy's fucking chest and pubes yeah just his face (laughs) so listen well (laughs) maybe they just didn't show that part we don't know oh that could be could be uh, either way, after jumping into the middle-aged cop's body, Jason does, in fact, go after Diana, attacking her just as she gets off the phone with her daughter. We get a fairly low-budget effect here where the cop is trying to strangle her and she looks in the mirror where she sees that he's really Jason. And then we get a really low-budget effect when he's trying to possess her. This worm snake-looking thing is hanging down from his mouth and it does not look even a little bit real. Like in a side shot, it's clearly just his tongue like colored black. Then we get a close-up and it's just jerking side to side because I guess that's all they could get the prosthetic thing to do. Not great, guys. This is not good. Yeah, some of the prop work here is a little bit rough. I feel like some of the makeup and effects have been good and then others, the creature work is not. I'm kind of struggling right now to understand who everyone is and yeah. what their relationship is to people. Yep. I don't even think we've gotten Steven's name yet. We don't know. He's just that kid from the diner who also drops off the people who get murdered. Yeah. He shows up in the nick of time here. I was going to say, I still have him as poor man's Rob Schneider, and poor man's Rob Schneider makes the save here, although he arrived way later than I expected. You think he went home to one out to the thought of that teenager skinny dipping? I don't even think he drove home. I think he just jumped off in the car and he needed <laughs> then he some would have gotten there faster. He needed to some time to clean oh, off. Yeah, towel yeah, off. yeah, yeah. He had, to, he had to clean up. He got it all over his <laughs> shoes. His shoes were covered in <laughs> It's so crass. 2024. Here we go. Oh, yeah. We've right back, right back <laughs> from where year, we come from. Year is not uh, I did not set oh uh, any kind of uh, New Year's resolutions to go. not Apparently. be. Apparently. Yeah. Anyway, despite this guy's best efforts, Diana gets run through with a fireplace poker, but he does manage to temporarily ward off middle-aged police officer Jason, sending him out a window. Diana whispers a final desperate instruction to him to save Jessica before she dies, which in an all-time case of bad timing happens right before a cop runs in. So the cop sees Steven directly above her dead body and, with Jason long gone, assumes that he killed her. Boy, I bet that skinny dip is looking pretty good right about now, huh? <laughs> I mean, I think he was... As far as he knows. Yeah, like he doesn't as, know the girl got yeah, slaughtered. Yeah, I mean, I think he wants to know that Jason is after Jessica, though, because he still has strong feelings for his baby mama. Oh, big time, yeah. So he doesn't want that to, to go down. I There's a lot of stuff that happens in these scenes that are, like, pretty hilarious and confusing. Whenever we see the person um, who has been possessed by the Jason spirit in a mirror, it actually looks like the original Jason Voorhees, and I have no idea why. Just to spell it out for the audience, do you think people are like people might not track this to make it look like Jason, or can she see Jason in the mirror because she's related to him? Spoiler alert: Is it only her who sees it? I'm trying to remember who the person is who sees it later. Is it Jessica who sees it? I don't later? know. I don't remember. This is an interesting question. I this is something if I watched it again, I would be paying closer attention to because that that might be a good point. It's a big if in that sentence. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, There's a lot of ifs here. Oh, man. It's so, so dramatic, but it's super funny because it's not being pulled off. No. He's not able to save her. Um, But 
he's been caught now. What's going to happen to him? Well, as if things couldn't get any worse for all Steve, Jessica arrives in town with her baby, who is Steven's baby as well, as you mentioned, and new boyfriend, who is the guy from American Case File. Steven sees the whole family as he's being moved to a different cell in the police station, but if Jessica didn't want to see him before, she is definitely not going to want to after he allegedly killed her mom. But you know who does want to see him? Creighton Duke. So it's super lucky they end up in adjoining cells. Like, unbelievably lucky. Although, bro doesn't feel that way to Steven when the Duke breaks a couple of his fingers. <laughs> yeah, so this is what made me think Duke was trying to get put in jail. This is why he offers to f*** Diana. But how could he have known... That it's anyone Creighton. else relating to this would get in jail. It's Creighton Duke. He can see he the future. He sees all. Yeah. He knows yeah, all. He knows he is, all. Yeah. He, he is Captain Exposition. We get kind of what feels like padding to me in this scene. We get a little bit of a, I'm going to break your fingers, but give you information scene. They're trying to make it really dramatic, but seems unnecessary. Why is he breaking his fingers? Because he doesn't have money. Creighton Duke has to take a sum for giving this information. It's, it is the like curse of the... Prophetic bounty hunter? Yeah, prophetic bounty hunter has to, to, to have the person pay a price to give them the information. That's why he gets his information. If he doesn't, it gets cut off from him. He's, uh, he doesn't get that info anymore. If you say so. But once again, Creighton Duke is here to explain everything that's going on, which he does in no uncertain terms. In a Voorhees, was he born? Through a Voorhees, may he be reborn. And only by the hands of a Voorhees will he die. Jason had a sister, your girlfriend's mother, Diana. Now that she's dead, he has only two blood relatives left in the world with the power to kill him or make him reborn. Jessica and her baby. And I'm still wondering how he knows all of this. Spoiler alert, we will not find out. Yeah, we don't know. We never will, and uh, he's here to keep moving along the plot or to sort of tell you stuff that would be impossible to figure out otherwise. No, he's just he's just human exposition. I stand by this statement. Uh, so Steven escapes from jail, though, and now we get what sure seems to me like a padding scene where for some reason he decides to head to the diner where Diana used to work, and not only is his and Jessica's baby there, which allows him to see her for the very first time, not counting that brief glimpse at the police station, but Stephen also gets to borrow a car from one of the diner employees who decides not to turn him in. Now, if I had to guess, I would assume the point of this is to get us invested in Stephen via the baby so that whatever happens to him later on will have more emotional weight behind it. But I kind of feel like that's a lost cause and none of this is really necessary. This Stephen actor has way too much screen time. He's not good. No, no. we Nothing like, is drawing me to the Stephen Happy character. to see Stephen fucking take it and... And what's we're gonna get some more tension with him shortly, but we're also about to get way more comedic. Yeah, this shit is about to go full <laughs> joke mode soon. Well, regardless of how you and I feel about Steven, he knows he needs to protect Jessica and the baby, so he heads to the old Voorhees house to try to find some kind of clue or weapon or key that will give him the ability to defeat Jason once and for all. And although he doesn't find that, he does find a couple of other interesting things. First, something that looks an awful lot like the Necronomicon, you know, the Book of the Dead from the Evil Dead movies. He, he straight up finds that's the Necronomicon. What is, right? yeah, yeah, that's what I wrote down too. And I was like, he finds the Necronomicon in the Jason Voorhees house? So we almost had like two franchise crossovers here? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Th that is definitely an homage. There's I no way about that, that it's not I there. I forgot yeah. completely about that. I only remember the Freddy one. Yeah. Um, second, Stephen finds out that the guy from American Case File is a grade A douchebag. His dating Jessica is almost certainly a way to get closer to the whole Jason Voorhees story, and he's planning on staging stuff at the Voorhees house to drive up ratings. Here is a line that I think sums this guy up pretty well. Well, uh, last night, 
I stole Diana's body and I hid it here in the closet. And then I went home and f***ed her daughter. <laughs> <laughs> what an asshole. Yeah, oh well, I mean... This guy is kind of your standard media tool, right? Like, yeah. they, they've written it in a very standard way. But, uh, yeah, we definitely want to see this guy fucking dead. Yeah. Right? Like, they're setting him up as one of those people who you're like, yeah, let's. this guy needs to get what's coming to him. The fact that he stole his, like, girlfriend's mother's corpse and brought it to a house to trick her and then went back and f***ed her... Tells you all you need to know about him. Yeah, man. I forgot to mention that uh, Stephen overhears this uh, on a phone call when he's hanging halfway down a fucking trap door or something or a hole in the floor because he stepped in a hole. And I don't know. This is the slapstick stuff you were talking about earlier. Yeah, that's part of the slapstick. Yeah, he had fallen through the floor. The Voorhees house hasn't had any care in a long time. Despite the fact that, like, we know that Jason is a murderer and that the whole family is kind of fucked up. No one's torn this motherfucker down. Yeah, that's or, like, odd, too. I, I found like, that strange. Why are we just, still doing this? Let's leave these weird, like, books that can bring the dead back to life or other shit around. Like, someone should have torched the fuck out of this place. They got rid ago. of the camp. When Steven drops those fucking horny teens off, he says this is where the camp used to be. They tore it down, though. Why don't they tear this fucking house down? Yeah, they should have. But, I mean, movies, obviously. Obviously. Now, luckily, this guy, I guess, was coming to him really quickly. When Jason decides to possess him, presumably as a way to get closer to Jessica. But what's truly exciting about this scene is what happens to Jason's old body after the switch. It basically starts bubbling and pulsing and melting away, all while the actor writhes and moans in pain. Parts of the body are like sticking to the wall on the floor where it falls. And I have to say, these effects are surprisingly really good. Oh, I was disappointed in them. Are you shitting me? That no. looked, that was like really cool, like solid practical effects. No, I thought they were pretty bad. I thought these were the best effects in the whole movie. Really? Yes. Oh, I didn't like the transition. I was really scene. it came yeah. out of nowhere for me. I'm like, we'd seen a bunch of shit before, and then all of a sudden it was like really good, and I was like, wow. I thought they went too far and they gave it too much screen time, which is really but interesting. Why not? If you're gonna splurge yeah. on a good effect, fucking like, show so it to us. Did the rest this is shit? Did this have the funny light electrical stuff happening at mm -hmm. the same time too? No, mm -hmm. that was later when mm -hmm. we get that. But this is just the melting body that it, it is. It's kind of cool as it melts and he kind of turns into a skeleton. Like that aspect was good. I didn't like the early makeup as his body started to change, though. The, At the like, very beginning, yes, the very it beginning, kind of like getting sucked in on itself. Yeah, I thought that that didn't look very I real. I thought like, it was but, solid, yeah. man. I, so this is the one part of the movie I want to give some flowers to. Wow, that's funny. Yeah. And then I was, I was kind of suspect on it here. Maybe it had jumped the shark for me at this point too, and I was like losing some of what I had for this movie. Maybe, like I said, for me it came out of nowhere. I was like, this movie is fucking the effects are shit, and all of a sudden I was like, hey, now this is kind of exciting. So. Uh, either way, things start moving really quickly here. We get a callback to the opening sequence of the movie when Jessica gets in the shower only for the lights to suddenly go out. And when she goes to investigate, she also gets attacked by Jason, only the Jason who's currently inside her douchey boyfriend. He tries to bring himself all the way back to life by going in for the possession makeout, but Steven bursts through the door again and manages to get Jessica away from him. He hurries her out to the car, and despite Jason busting out a Terminator-style window punch, Steven successfully gets them out of there by hitting Jason with the car and then running over what is clearly a dummy. So, so much for those good special effects I was talking about. <laughs> it's funny that they ran back the shower scene. I thought that, yeah. that was kind of... I, I didn't dislike the fact that they ran it back and were doing that again. I thought it was kind of funny. So they do get out. He drives over what is clearly a dummy. It's yeah, it's not good. The arm flops up. The hand is plastic. Like, come on. So did Jason go to hell here? I'm like, is it over and we're going to no. actually get to hell? Of course not. They're, they also know that it's not, right? They're both like, no, he's not going to hell yet. Um, so where are we going from here? 
Well, we're going to stick with the car for a little while. Uh, Steven is the hero here, despite our protest earlier. Only Jessica does not believe him, which I guess is fair, as it all sounds pretty ridiculous. So she knocks him out of the car and drives to the police station to report everything that's happened. And when a deputy finds Steven on the road where Jessica kicked him out and mentions that she's at the station base, he immediately asks to be placed under arrest as a way to get back there, which also has the benefit of jump-starting perhaps the most action-packed sequence in the whole movie. <laughs> Perhaps, yeah, but this is also where the action becomes so slapstick. Yes, it's ridiculous. I actually felt like this section was directed by someone different. Like, I feel like they took a moment where they were like, let's get somebody in and have them do something a little different here. It almost felt like this was a different movie for me after this point. That's fair, I guess. Uh, the whole thing starts with Steven doing some kind of thing where he's handcuffed behind his back and he jumps up and like swings the handcuffs in front of his body, which like I bet on paper they thought that would look really cool, but it does not look good. Oh, man, it, it, things are getting out of control. When he grabs the gun after jumping over, it starts getting insane. I was laughing my ass off. <laughs> and yeah. it was actually amazing, but in the worst way. Um, we get a head smash here that is fucking hilarious and awful. Won't be the last one either. There's more head smashes There's coming. There's so many head smashes, two heads together and brains coming out. Um Oh, my God. It's all culminating now at the police station, and everyone is there together. We've got our prophetic, like... Uh, we, don't, we don't see him yet. First... Uh, but we know he's there. We yeah, know we, he's well, there. We're I wasn't the sure station. he was still there. You thought he escaped through, like, telekinesis I or something? I thought enough time had passed that he'd be fucking released. <laughs> what are they holding there for? He uh, made some comments about wanting to nail the sheriff's girlfriend. He's been in there for days. We, he's also black and we're I was going to say, you know yet. what? I yeah. just wanted to put that out there. It yeah. is the 90s. Would he still be in that cell if he was a white guy? I kind of don't think he would be. No, he wouldn't have been. No. But yeah, so uh, Steven, after hopping the handcuffs, grabs the gun from fucking whoever and he puts like seven bullets in Jason, including one through the brain. And we think maybe this is over, but of course not. Uh, he quickly wakes up and kills another police officer. So I guess at this point, it's time to call in the pro. And like you already mentioned, the one guy who knows everything about Jason and how to stop him is still in that jail. It's Creighton Duke. He, I guess, frees himself. We see him like clothesline a guard and presumably grabs his keys. And yeah, he's, know, he's coming out. Now it's going to be Steven and Creighton and Jessica. Well, they're not together. No, but this is the team who's going to be battling against Jason. Currently, Jason's still in TV man form. Yeah, the douchebag body. But with him back in action, so to speak, Steven and Jessica run to the diner, which I guess is across the street from the police station. Has that been there the whole time? Yeah, they're close. I don't know. We It, it was kind of a weird transition. They don't yeah. tell you the time frame difference here. I feel like they did not do a good job of demonstrating that geography earlier. No, they definitely didn't set that up. Um, no. Things are starting to get out of control. I guess now what's happening <laughs> yeah, is... they're starting to get out of control. They're all racing to the diner because that's where the child is. But do they know that? For some reason, they all know the child is there. And somehow, the TV dude even knows as well. Because Jason in that body knows that if he can possess the child, he can come back to life. Uh, maybe, man. I don't know. Either way, the douchiest version of Jason arrives to lay siege to this diner. Attacking and killing pretty much the entire staff, including the weird family that runs it. He puts an elbow on the matriarch of this freak show that literally caves her mouth in. Like, she looks like a cartoon character when he's done with her. Yeah, the makeup is just ridiculous. Yeah. And then he fucking fries the patriarch's face in the deep fryer. <laughs> that was a toxic Avenger fucking throwback yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. No, man, we get another uh, nice move here where he gets his hands on that waitress friend of Jessica and squeezes her till her brains pop out the top of her head. 
Like they, they explode up into the air after she teases us by almost saying the title, too. She says, Go to hell! So close. We're so close <laughs> to the title. So we've turned into a straight B-movie here. That's all. I, I don't even know how else to describe it. This whole thing's a fucking B-movie. It didn't start that way. Uh, I mean... It started... Those cops shoot him a lot in that yeah, opening sequence. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But it feels like... At some point, this is just like changed lanes and turned into a straight, oh, like schlocky. We're off like, the rails. We've yeah. gone off the rails here by a fucking mile. Like, we went from zero to Birdemic. Like, we're actually in Birdemic territory <laughs> at this point in the movie. I Yeah. So, uh, basically, after Jason kills this waitress, you'd think he would just kill Jessica and Steven now because they are right there. But instead, his body just like keels over, which I suppose buys them some time. Steven decides to leave Jessica there and go looking for help, which seems risky since, you know, Jason's body has been known to rise from the dead from time to time. But in an ironic twist, it's Jessica who leaves him there when she jumps in the car and speeds off. Steven is stunned, and we don't know why she does this either, but we get the answer quickly from a note that Steven finds crumpled up on the floor of the diner. It's from Duke, and it says, I have your baby. Come to the Voorhees house. Alone. But where the hell did this note come from? Duke had to have left it. But when, where? They left the jail before he did. He left it, I don't know, somehow while all this fighting was going on in the diner, he took the baby and left a note in the cradle. But how did he beat them to the diner? He didn't. He got there after, but while they were busy and somehow grabbed the baby. I don't Part know. Part of me is like, did he jam the note into fucking American case file Jason's pocket and she pulled it out of the pocket? Does, There's no reason for this note that here. way. It did seem like it came off the body of case files Jason, which is fucked up. I mean... We know that this guy's tying up all the loose ends in this movie, and this yeah, is but, another one that makes no sense that he's able to do. He, he's gone beyond mysterious into, like, supernatural at this point. But he is supernatural. He's he knows everywhere. all these he's things. Yeah. It makes no sense. Yeah. God damn. Well, Jessica does, in fact, go to the Voorhees house and finds Duke there, who does, in fact, have her baby. She tells him that her ex-boyfriend is dead, so there's no more bounty for him to collect. But Duke fires up and tells her, It's not about the money anymore. Tonight we can get that bastard. Tonight we can send Jason Voorhees straight to hell for all time. And although he says we, it turns out it's really up to Jessica to do the killing with some sort of magical dagger. Now, unfortunately, based on what we see in the next minute or so of this movie, she might not be the best person for the job. She's not great at killing. <laughs> yeah, so he has this magical dagger. When he hands it to her, it transforms, right? It goes from what looks like just sort of a military knife into this special-looking knife. And this is all because she is also... She's a Voorhees, of Voorhees blood, She's a blood right? relative, yeah. And so he did, in his exposition, one of many earlier tell us it's the only way he can die is if she stabs him. But is this going to go well? What we're also wondering at this point now is, is like poor man's Rob Schneider going to show up possessed as the new Jason Voorhees? Whose body is Jason inside right now? That's the question. And yeah, a couple cops show up. And Duke is like, kill him, kill both of them. It could be either one of them. And she can't, she doesn't kill either one of them. She's so bad at this. Yeah, the baby's crying. There's all kinds of shit going on here. Um, we don't know which one is the the evil Jason one. And she does eventually step in and start doing some stabbing. Yeah, but it takes fucking forever. And in the process, she ends up having one of the bodies fall on top of her. So now she's out of commission. And with Jessica sideline, the possessed cop breathing down her baby's neck, literally, it's up to Steven to once again save the day, which he does by running in and slicing the cop's head nine-tenths of the way off with a machete. 
There's still 10 minutes of movie left to go, though, so we shouldn't be surprised when we see that wormy lizard creature that is, I guess, Jason's heart crawling out of the gaping neck hole. And with that, the roller coaster ride that is the effects quality of this movie continues. What do you think of this fucking thing scurrying around? It's fucking awful. This whatever this it's really bad puppet was was really bad. It also was so alien like. It made me wonder whether it was from outer space. But a much shittier version, even oh, though the yeah. movie Alien came out like 15 years before this. What is about to happen next is also not good for the people still in this movie and for the viewing audience. Well, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, as we've been told repeatedly, for Jason to be reborn, this heart lizard needs to possess the body of another Voorhees. And as you may remember, that douchebag from American Case Files stole Diana's body from the morgue. Well, that body is still in the basement, just lying around where Duke was after he fell through a trap door and gored his leg. And although Jessica and Steven get Duke up and out of there, they leave Diana's body, which is bad because the Jason lizard finds it. And well, I'm going to let you tell everyone what happens next. He enters through her vagina. Right down Main Street. Yeah. Crawls into her sn- Right up there. And you know what is amazing? Uh, instead of, like, demolishing a dead body, it turns her into fucking Jason. Yeah, man. Jason Voorhees is reborn. He smashes up to the floorboards in his fully restored jumpsuit slash hockey mask body. Well, not fully restored. His head and skin are still horribly mangled and misshapen. And why is that? Like, if I think reborn, I think brand new beginning. He should be like a young, handsome Jason or something, shouldn't he? I wondered actually about the Jason makeup in this. He's pretty grotesque. Is this it's from like, all the previous yeah, everything? Is shot this the and extent blown up and of electrocuted? Like the, and, yeah, yep. this is the furthest form he's had. He takes a licking and keeps on ticking. He sure does. So he's come back now um, through Diana, and they're in trouble. Oh, they are, but new body or not, they can still kill him. They just need that magical dagger. Jessica tries to retrieve it from under a cabinet, but she ends up knocking it down a hole in the floorboards. Duke tries to buy her some time by handcuffing him and Jason together, but Jason just rips him out of the cuffs and kills him by breaking his back. So with the dagger out of reach and Jason bearing down on Jessica and the baby, it's time once again for Steven to shift into hero mode, which he does by tackling Jason through the window and onto the lawn. And all I could think of here was, book that guy a trip to bl- city because this dude has no physique no athletic ability he isn't particularly handsome he might possess the least amount of heroic qualities of any hero character i've ever seen but he just keeps throwing himself in front of bullets for her he should have died so many times at this point and we're about to get him facing down against jason he must be one of the like weakest pieces of shit to ever face off against Jason and he keeps he taking a beating and surviving. He survives, yeah. which is insane. This guy has some of the strongest plot armor I have ever seen on a character. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it, yeah. Um, he's going to hit Jason in the face with the shovel uh, a few times um, and then Jason's just going to hit him back with it but not break him in half like nope. he could, right? No. Nope. Um, there's a rake situation going on too. <laughs> like They're getting all of the garden tools yeah. out and just fucking kicking the shit out of each other with them but somehow fucking steven is surviving all of this see i wouldn't say kicking the shit of each other jason kicks steven's ass all over this front yard he fucking throws him into like a planter jungle gym thing at one point tips over steven like should have died 18 different times yeah. here this jungle gym thing that flips over and he's kind of hiding in it, they had an opportunity to do some funny like 
punch and dodge under yeah. here and they don't do any they of that do he just has this giant jungle gym yeah. lying on him like <laughs> it's kind of a, a missed opportunity here but i mean we don't believe jason is like acrobatic or athletic enough to avoid punches anyway no but neither is steven so i don't know man yeah either way jessica finally gets her hands in the dagger she comes flying out of the night and jams it into jason's chest and we get some immediate light effects as it's clear that he is very damaged here I say damaged, but not dead, even after Steven lands several punches right to the hockey mask in what has to be the worst attack strategy ever. Oh, He's yeah. punched him right in the mask. Why I'm like, are you Come on, dude. punching the part that doesn't work? We're now getting Roman candles shooting out of his chest and into <laughs> the air. <laughs> well, and it gets bigger in a second when Jessica, realizing the dagger must not have completely impaled his heart, runs up and drop kicks it all the way into his chest. And now we get the fireworks. Yeah, we get lots and lots of Roman candles coming out now. There's a storm brewing above, right? The weather changes above them, and they're really leaning into the mood here. Um, and we start to get this kind of light from the sky. Yeah, this beam is, like, shining down in a fucking, like, circular, it's like a light tube almost, and a bunch of cartoony mud hands suddenly rise up out of the ground and start pulling Jason down. They also grab a hold of Steven with Jason trying to drag him along as well, but Jessica manages to pull him far enough out of that light that the hands let go, and the last thing we see before the light fades out is Jason's mask slowly sinking below the dirt. The sun is rising on Crystal Lake after the dissolve. Jessica and Steven are walking arm in arm, and it appears the nightmare is finally over. Where's their baby? No one knows. Yeah, I'm like, at this point, I'm like, <laughs> where is their the fucking child? No, but, the, but what's important is the nightmare is finally over. Or is it? Because we cut to what appears to be a pile of dust and gravel, but as the wind picks up, the dirt moves and reveals Jason's mask. But... Uh, this appears to be a false alarm, as that fucking dog from before even comes over and paws at it without incident. But then, in what was by far the most talked about moment of this movie, a familiar knife glove wearing hand bursts up out of the dirt, grabs the mask, and pulls it under while a familiar laugh rings out. And then, the Jason sound again. But what does it all mean? It means that we're getting a Jason versus Freddy movie. That's right. A shitty crossover coming your way in just a few years. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. The music transitioned to like a very solemn, like quiet, slow sound. And you were like, is this how this is ending? I didn't know that this crossover thing was happening. We'd just been on half an hour of was a fucking shit show. Yep. And it ended in a way that like led us forward, I guess. I I was still super disappointed we never got to hell. <laughs> I mean, we have to assume he's there, but we don't see it. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. I I need to see Jason battling Even fucking demons. Even more in hell. misleading than Jason takes Manhattan you More, saying. more. Yeah, yeah, more yeah absolutely more. At least there was some scenes in streets that looked like they could be Manhattan. One street. Yeah, one, one, one street. street. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Like a, I mean, like a that was diner. that was yeah. like 4 minutes of that movie. We got 0 minutes of hell in this movie. <laughs> yeah, we got not a lot of hell. Yeah. This seems like a very appropriate time to transition to our rage. We're talking about what we did and didn't like and how we felt disappointed or I was going to say not, but we both felt disappointed, I think. So the way we always do this, we rate the movie on a scale of 1 to 10 two times. 1 to 10 for how bad it is, 1 to 10 for how enjoyable. And the goal is to find movies that are a 10 out of 10 on both scales, or what we call the Crit 20. And for me, I almost always do not approve of retconning. And this whole heart lizard thing is a huge retcon. The story is by far my biggest issue with this thing, specifically the Creighton Duke character. I've already said this, but there is zero explanation for why he knows any of the things he knows. Like, we never learn how we found this out, or where that magical dagger comes from, or how that note of his got to the diner where Jessica could see it. He is literally just a device to move the plot along, like we already said, and that is just sloppy. 
Maybe sloppy isn't the right word. It's brazen is what it is. They could have easily put some explanation for his role in any of this in here, and they just decided not to. As a fan of the Friday the 13th franchise, the whole thing feels kind of insulting. The effects are all over the place. Some really good, some terrible. The music is so stereotypical, it's almost laughable. And I cannot think of a single good acting performance. So this is bad. <laughs> but I don't think it's a 10 bad. I have it as a 9. All right, that's fair. Um, I have some very similar points. Number one on my list was the acting. I really struggled with Steven being the leading man. I struggled with Diana's performance. I didn't like the schlocky TV guy. I thought Creighton also... Wasn't bad or good. He didn't bring much to the table. Yeah. It's sort of it's hard when you're given that. The story was frustrating and annoying that it had to be explained, and there were so many things that weren't explained. Right, like a lot of that didn't make sense to me. I did not generally enjoy the effects. There were some good makeup that I thought, um, particularly on a couple of the kills. The music. I really like the synth music that takes a lot of the '80s and '90s horror. Yeah, and I felt like it was very almost under done like it does not play a significant role in mood or experience there's a little bit at the start and occasionally it pops in but i didn't i didn't feel like there was a ton yeah, of it there. i call this stereotypical it pops in at very stereotypical moments and it to me it just sounds like you recognize it instantly but it's not like good it's just kind of like yeah that's that's the music you why, expect to hear right at this moment when they have steven singing in a car on his own why don't they pick a pop song from that time and have it they didn't want to pay right? for the rights i know for but an wouldn't that have been song? better like that is actually part of my question about this is how much budget did it have because it I don't know. felt like they were really cutting corners on this motherfucker but you can like when we watched a movie like nightmare beach yeah they had not like real songs, but they got studio musicians to make songs that sound like the music of the time. Yeah. So it's not a song you ever heard on the radio, but it fits like that era. This song is not even a song. It's no. just bullshit in the background. Yeah, I it noticed been, that immediately. Yeah, yeah, it would have been nice to do more of that. Whatever, they, they did not put enough time or energy into the music of this thing. So all of that together, <laughs> I actually had this as a 9-2. Okay. I thought there was enough in it. Um, maybe it's the homage at the end. Maybe it was the starting scene, which was quite good too, not to move it over to a 10. I actually really like the beginning of this movie. Yeah. We, we, we feel very similar to this. How enjoyable did you find it on a scale of one to 10? Um, so it was really over the top. It was super campy. It was not what I expected from a Jason film. Right. And it's funny that this is our third one. Like that maybe says a lot about it despite being fans of the um the series there is a lot of stuff in this that is laughable i thought a lot of the campiness was intentional right like i don't yeah, you don't think I, so you I'm think it's not, not yeah. as convinced as you i mean some there's clearly some nods in there and some stuff where like you're like that's a joke the like, last but, 30 uh, minutes had to have been a joke because it changed so dramatically from what felt like a like serious friday the 13th movie to like, oh, I don't think this ever ever had it. No, because well, if you think about the beginning, the amount yeah. of those cops pop out, and even like after they kill him, some of the dialogue from yeah, the police officers, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, kind of it's, it's campy and kind of jokey, like yeah. you said. I don't know. I don't know. There was some decent uh, nudity and sex scenes. In this <laughs> yeah, there too. sure was. Yeah, so I didn't mind that. Uh, all of that together, I had this as an eight enjoyable. I wasn't. A, wow. Yeah, I I <laughs> oh, I Jesus. thought it, it was short, right? Like this was like eighty eight minutes. It breezed through. 
Yeah, without um, credits, you mean? I think it was like ninety-two with credits. Yeah, it was real. Yeah, yeah. it was like eighty-eight it's with the right credits, time, and it was like it 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 worked for me. It wasn't a good movie, but it was a fun uh, eighty-eight minutes. Okay, would I go back to the well again? I would go see a different Jason movie. I well, think that's the thing. Yeah. So you have not seen all the Friday the Thirteenth. No, right? no, I have I seen back all of it, them. Yeah. And this one ranks very low on my rankings. Oh, I don't think it was a good movie. Right. Nor do I think it like should stand the test of time. But was it a like hilarious time because it was so bad? Absolutely. See, I think, but the difference is I think, like I said, I already said it was kind of insulting as a fan of the franchise. I was busy looking at this being like, well, that doesn't fucking make sense. This is not fit with everything else. So I think I was kind of more preoccupied with like the ways it didn't sort of honor the franchise. Um, having said that, let's get this out of the way. The Freddy moment is really cool. Yeah. Um, and when I watched as a kid, I remember being super excited in that moment, which as an adult, it in no way, shape or form redeems the rest of the movie for me. But for like 12, 13 year old me, it almost did like, so that's something, but this was actually a factor in my bad rating. Like say what you will, this moment at the end did create buzz and excitement for a sequel. And it had been a while since a movie in this franchise had kind of done that. So that's kind of why I knocked it down from a 10 bad to a nine, because like if nothing else, the last moment kind of accomplished the goal of like you were sort of excited again to see what would happen. Uh, some of the effects were good, like I said, especially that part where the old body melts for me. I, I like that. You didn't like it as much, but I also like the opening sequence like yourself. We're going to check all the kind of horror movie boxes and set the tone for what was coming. Actually, that's not true. It definitely pointed to some of the silliness that was coming, but they just kept hitting new lows in terms of how serious they were taking this and that dropped the enjoyment for me. Speaking of dropping the enjoyment, the guy who played Steven... <laughs> just brought nothing to the table here like i cannot believe they couldn't have found a better actor or at least one who fit the mold of a hero for this era of movies we're schneisack yeah ron schneisack um <laughs> uh, like <laughs> but by far the worst part of this for me was the whole body switching heart lizard thing like just a brutal retcon never explained i'm pretty sure they never used it again this wasn't the thing in jason x right so i have this way lower than you for enjoyment i have this as a four holy shit you hated yeah, this i did not really enjoy it and i because i was because i was sitting the whole time being like why did they change this why did they change that steven grated at me i don't know so you were an angry old man sitting on your porch i was shaking your fist That's at right. the kids is what was happening these here. modern friday the 13th movies fuck this it's like crystal skull for indiana jones fans <laughs> <laughs> oh man what'd you think of this beer though I liked it. Um, it definitely packed more flavor than I was expecting. Yeah. I would say a lot of the Heffenweisens we drink now are less um, traditional wheat. So we get a lot less of that very powerful clove. They're lighter, banana. a little more watery almost. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This one definitely packed a lot more flavor. I did enjoy it. Like, I, I'm glad it was a small can and I'm glad that I drank it early and crushed it. Um, it would be hard to drink a bunch of these, but it was definitely refreshing, and I like the balance and flavors. It is so flavorful compared to, like you said, a lot of the Hefeweizens we get kind of today. This had this packs a ton of flavor in there, and it really made me want to try some of the other Helltown uh, brewing beers because if they can pack this much flavor into like uh, a Hefeweizen, I would love to see what they do with like a pale ale or a stout or a porter or like a pilsner or whatever because this just, you know... It's got traditional flavor, but not like a little bit. It fucking smacks you in the face with it. So really good stuff. Again, not my style, but if I had to drink a Hefeweizen, I would be reaching for this one. I think it was a really good job by them. Yeah, I liked it. I would look forward to trying some stuff if we, or when we go back to Pittsburgh. I oh, think hey, now. We got to visit for sure. Well, I'll tell you something you're going to be looking forward to, and that is our next episode. Because if there's one thing I know about you, it's that you love 
practical effects, especially when they include puppets. And yeah. two weeks from now. Jim Henson coming out here? Oh, this is so far below oh. the Jim Henson line of uh, respectability. Two weeks from now, we're going to be watching a movie called Attack of the Beast Creatures. <laughs> oh, okay. I've never seen All this right. before, All but right. as I understand it, it involves uh, an island full of monsters. Do they have to, like, someone has to survive on this island? And there's oh, all these there's creepy- a couple that are going to have to survive. I don't know if it's a shipwreck scenario, but there's an island, and there are beast creatures, and they are attacking, and that's all I really know. Uh, I, but it's going to include I, puppets ooh. for sure, and I'm sure they'll be low budget, so get excited for that. Ooh, okay. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for this. I know I, so I little. About it. Yeah, okay. I'm, I, I love puppets. This all sounds very fun to me. I can't wait to watch it. Yeah, it's going to be a low-budget adventure. We're going to keep 2024 rolling with some hopefully really good stuff. We'll see. Before then, if you have not already, please follow us on social media at the BMB Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Feel free to send us emails, thebmbpodcast at gmail.com. The fourth season is all sort of booked up right now, but we are always looking for more suggestions of beer and or movies. Absolutely, and we love to hear from you, so please don't be afraid. Reach out. Let us know what you'd like us to cover. And we hope you will join us in two weeks' time for Attack of the Beast Creatures. Until then, I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. And we'll see you next time on Bad Movies and Beer. Steve, keep on being average. <laughs> Evil has finally found a home. <laughs>